It is so good to see those of you that are here. It's good to know that those of you online are with us as well. Thank you for your incredible patience as we start this journey back to a full schedule. Uh, we have a, a, looks like a comfortably filled uh, house today, considering our social distancing requirements. <coughs> I want to say Wednesday night, uh, I wasn't here Wednesday night, Pastor Corey taught, but I think we had over 200 in this service. And Pastor Mike had like a hundred, almost 140 over in youth uh, in Brown Chapel. So um, we feel like we're on a, a, a good start on the road to recovery and, and not just recovery, but to the days ahead that are exciting and going to be blessed times. I know it's a little frustrating, uh, you know, if, you're, if your last name is, you know, Zertog or something. I realize that we're asking you to wait another month to come. I mean, you know, to the end of June. It reminded me of the Far Side car cartoon a few years ago. Noah's standing on the ark. He's looking out over all the animals. And he says, all right, we've got to get everybody loaded. We're going to begin now loading you alphabetically. And the zebras all started cursing, you know. <laughs> so um, I realize it's a little frustrating but we're getting there, and you are the most incredible people on planet Earth. The way you have stood by each other, the way you have continued to give and continued to serve. I, I just, I can't express how thankful I am for you. Now, I, hey, I need to mention this. Uh, I talked about it last week just a little bit, uh, about our Associate Pastor's Day, the, the, the time of the year that we receive a, a love offering and uh, it, the purpose of it is to honor our associate staff. We wanted to mention that over a couple of Sundays because we know that we're, we're kind of in a different phase right now. But you can uh, either indicate uh, online or in you know, your, your hands-on giving. Uh, just, just put pastors. That, that's the associate pastors, associate pastors. If you text give, the key word is pastors, plural. And that'll go to the associate pastor. So I wanted to remind you of that. These guys have done such a phenomenal job during this um, um, time of, of shutdown and pandemic and quarantining. They've done such a wonderful job and we want to honor them. I also would like to join Pastor Corey in encouraging you to visit the website. Uh, you can get information and letters there. And um, with that in mind, as we get into our scripture today... 2 Timothy 4, let's begin as is our custom with the Lord's Prayer. It will be on the screen and we encourage everyone to pray along with us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's sundown, Lord. The shadows of my life stretch back into the dimness of years long spent. 
I fear not death, for that grim foe betrays himself at last, thrusting me forever into life, life with you, unsoiled and free. But I do fear. I fear the dark specter may come too soon. Or do I mean too late? That I should end before I finish. Or finish, but not finish well. That I should stain your honor, shame your name, grieve your loving heart. Few, they tell me, finish well. Lord, let me get home before dark. The darkness of a spirit grown mean and small, fruit shriveled on the vine, bitter to the taste of my companions, a burden to be borne by those few who love me still. No, Lord, let the fruit of my life grow lush, a joy to all who taste, a spirit sign of God at work, stronger, fuller, brighter at the end. Lord, let me get home before dark. The darkness of tattered gifts, rust locked, half spent or ill spent, a life that was once used of God but is now set aside. Grief for glories gone or fretting for a task that God never gave. Mourning in the hollow chambers of memory, gazing on the faded banners of victories long gone. Cannot I run well to the end? Oh Lord, let me get home before dark. The outer me decays. I do not fret or ask reprieve. The ebbing strength but weans me from Mother Earth and grows me up for heaven. I do not cling to shadows cast by immortality. I do not patch the scaffold tent to build the real eternal me. I do not clutch about me my cocoon, vainly struggling to hold hostage a free spirit pressing to be born. But will I reach the gate in lingering pain, body distorted and grotesque? Or will it be a mind wandering unfettered among light fantasies or grim terrors? Of your grace, Father, I humbly ask, let me get home before dark. Robertson McQuilkin, former president of Columbia International University, wrote those words a few years ago as he began to get into his advanced years having struggled through walking with his wife, through the agony of Alzheimer's. He made a statement that I didn't understand in my 40s. I began to grab hold of in my 50s and now it's in my journal and I read it two or three times a month as a sincere prayer. He said, upon writing this, he said, I've come to the conclusion that I would rather die too early than live too long. I thought that's kind of pessimistic. That's kind of doom and gloom. It's, it's not the kind of thing you would say to people just coming back to church on Sunday morning after being shut in. <laughs> but then he began to talk about why he said that. And he said, Christians need to begin to understand that some treasures you send ahead. Jesus said, lay up not for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust 
steal and corrupt, but lay up for yourselves. And that was an active verb. Lay up now for yourselves treasures in heaven. He said, but it's not just about what I lay up in heaven. It's what I leave behind. It was this word legacy. Legacy. You remember a couple of weeks ago, I said that as I was praying, the Lord asked me three questions that need to shape how we're existing during this pandemic. Number one, what am I learning? The worst thing that could happen is that we come through this unscathed, but unchanged. What am I learning? The second question is, upon what am I leaning? What am I trusting in? It seems that so many things and sometimes relationships, so many dynamics that we have rested upon have been systematically either destroyed or diminished. And we're in a whole new world. Upon what am I leaning? And the third question was this, what am I leaving? What is my legacy? And I want to talk to you today about legacy. Paul had something to say about legacy. We see Paul in 2 Timothy writing the last words, as far as we know, at least as far as the scripture is concerned, writing the last words that we will ever hear from him. I was reading a commentary on 2 Timothy a while back and the professor said, well, this is obviously not written by Paul. And I thought, that's strange. Why would he say that? And he basically, his only reason was it's just so different than his other epistles. So it couldn't have been written by Paul. And let me just say this. Okay, this is, this is an added bonus that you get for being here and for tuning in. Please stop gathering your theology from the History Channel. Um, just because someone has professor in front of their name and is called a scholar, that, and I used to say $2, now it's $4, will get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks, okay? Um, this, the, the foolishness of biblical criticism that is designed to diminish the idea of the inspiration, authority, and, and infallibility of God's Word is crazy. And I read that and I said, you're saying Paul didn't write this because it's different than his other epistles. Of course it is. The man's facing the chopping block. He knows that he will not have another opportunity unless God is merciful to speak with Timothy again. Of course he writes differently than he would. I've always said when it comes time for us to move into our next realm, you know, we, we're not going to be interested in football scores. We're not going to be interested in who won the horse race. Everything shifts and it did with Paul. And we're going to find that Paul, when we read here, he looked back on what they had faced. He looked at what they were facing right then. And he looked into the future a little bit. Let's read about a man concerned about his legacy. Now, let me say, just to give you some historical background, I've already said this is Paul's last letter. When the book of Acts ends, Paul is living in a rented house in Rome and allowed visitors. That's not what we have in 2 Timothy. When Acts ends, Paul was arrested 
being, being, uh, or facing charges that he was going to whip. Those that sent him to Caesar said, there's nothing to charge this man over. If he had not made an appeal to Caesar, he'd be let free. And that's what happened. He was let go. He bore witness to the gospel in Rome, and then he, let go, he was let go. Now, the book of Acts doesn't tell us about that, but church history gives us some pretty good indicators that he had a couple of years of ministry, and he ends up being arrested again under the rule of Nero. But this time, he's not in his own rented house. He's in the Mamertine prison. He's in a place that struck fear and terror into the hearts of the Roman Empire whenever the place was even mentioned. And Paul was there facing imminent death by beheading at the hand of the executioner. The year is about 64 or 65, possibly as late as 66, but um, we don't think it was any later than 66 because Jerusalem would have been under siege and we feel like Paul would have made reference to that. So you can pretty well mark it down to about 64, 65 AD. And this is what the great apostle said, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Now remember he's writing to Timothy. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season. When I was growing up, uh, that was a hallmark of Pentecostal church. That meant if you're called to preach, be ready to preach anytime. And, and boy, I tell you what, I, I grew up in a culture. It wasn't bad. It made you pray before you went to church. But if they knew you were a preacher, you never knew when you might be called on to preach. And they would always preface when you had that look of terror on your face. Well, Paul said to be instant in season, out of season. In other words, be ready whether you're scheduled to preach or not. I think that's true. I think it's a good idea, but that's not what Paul was saying. Paul was saying there are going to be times in your life when you will be preaching to a friendly crowd and it will be the acceptable thing to do. But there are also times that whenever you open your mouth, you need to realize you may be risking imprisonment or death. Be ready whether it is a good time to preach or a bad time to preach. He said, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. That's good advice for us, isn't it? Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. That means don't get distracted by secondary issues. Let everything you do be rooted and grounded in the gospel. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, 
has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls and especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker, or King James says Alexander the coppersmith, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that though the message, or through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now what we find here in this few paragraphs of scripture that are, that are packed with information Paul, first of all, he deals with the present. He says, we are in the middle of tough days. Timothy, you are going to have to understand that every time you open your mouth for the gospel, you are at risk. You've got to be strong. You've got to be predictable. You've got to be steadfast. And you've got to let the Lord help you through these difficult days. He also talked about the future. He said, don't get it in your mind that this is just a bad day we've got to live through. He said, we're moving into a period of time when people will reject the gospel. The gospel will be um, despised and you will be despised. There will be very little tolerance. And that's the way it is in a lot of places in the world. And I fear it's becoming more and more like that in our nation where we defend the right of everybody to do everything and be everything and say everything, the only exception is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, that's what you're facing. He says, so understand that I'm about to die. These are my last words. So come to me quickly while you can. And he did something else that seems almost strange. He remembered the past. Now that is an art that Christians need to learn. So often our past is clouded with regrets and we've all got regrets. So often our past is clouded with the baggage from the hurt that others have caused and we've all got that. But Paul is putting legacy at the front of his remembrances of the past. Now he paints the picture. He said, Tychicus, Crescens, and um, Titus, I have sent away for ministry. And then he talks about four other people that in his last days, he says, these four people stand out in my mind. In other words, he says, as I prepared a transition from this life to the next, there are four people that I want to talk about for just a moment and they'll have a great bearing on the future. They have something that you need to learn associated with their name. He mentions Demas, first of all. And Demas was a man that had a legacy of quitting. That's what he left behind. 
we forget that Demas was a part of some of the greatest moves of God in the book of Acts, but nobody remembers that. All they remember is that Demas fell in love with the world and forsook Paul. That was his legacy, a legacy of quitting. He mentions Alexander the coppersmith or the metal worker, and he has a legacy of hurting. Not that he was hurting, but that he caused hurt. When Paul remembered Alexander, he said, he did me much harm. Now you've got to understand this. Paul was not whining about the past, nor was he holding a grudge. When you read it in context, we see two things. Paul was saying he is a source and a cause of much pain, but the Lord is his judge. And I am telling you this because if you're not careful, he'll do the same to you. It wasn't, it wasn't revenge. It wasn't bitterness or unforgiveness. <coughs> he remembered Luke. Luke's legacy was one of faithfulness. Over the years, and by now they had had some decades together, Luke has been faithful. He's been side by side with Paul through all of these journeys. And the most amazing name to me was Mark, John Mark. He had a legacy of the second chance. We're going to find out that John Mark hurt Paul and left Paul and was so unreliable that whenever they started their second missionary journey, John Mark's uncle Barnabas wanted to take him along and Paul said no. Uh, I, I, think, I think it's translated loosely in the Greek, same dog don't bite me twice. He was saying, look, we took him and he let us down when we needed him the most. And it wasn't just that Luke made a mistake. He made a mistake that was so devastating that Paul, whether he was right or wrong, I think the book of Acts leaves that final answer up in the air for several reasons. But, but for whatever reason, Paul was saying this failure is so egregious that I'm willing to split up with you, Barnabas. I'm willing to let you go your way and I'll go my way. That's how big a deal John Mark's failure is to me. He had a legacy. However, he isn't remembered for his failure. He's remembered for Paul calling him to himself. A legacy of the second chance. Now, let me say this so you'll, so you'll understand that I'm not giving a conflicting message. I talk a lot about forgiveness and it is what we all ought to do. I think day in and day out, probably the biggest issue that the average Christian faces, I'm talking about the vast majority of Christians, whether it's preacher or priest or the youngest child of God, it's the issue of can I forgive? And we'll spend our lives, many of us, working through the layers of forgiveness and finally getting there. Um, and I've recommended R.T. Kendall's book to you, uh, Total Forgiveness. Um, it's, to me, probably the most thorough and life-giving treatment of forgiveness that I know of. But most of us stay stuck fighting the battle to forgive. Well, I know how big a battle that is, and sometimes it's it's... It, it takes years. It's, it's like we've said, forgiveness is like an onion. It's layer after layer after layer, and all of them make you cry, you know. But there's also the dynamic of not only do I forgive, but we have to come to the realization with what has the offender left behind? 
What is the damage done by the offender? What is the legacy that we will leave? Now, in the matter of legacy, let's look at these four names very quickly. We don't have time to spend as much as I would like to on all of them deserve their own sermon. But let's hit the four of them quickly. Number one, Paul remembered Alexander. Now, there are, Alexander was a common name. There's more than one Alexander in Scripture. In Acts 19, <laughs> there is a riot in Ephesus. And Alexander, um, who was, uh, if this is the same Alexander that Paul is talking about, was seen as somebody that maybe could come in and bridge the gap during a riot. And he was unable to do so because he was a Jew, but he, if this is the same Alexander, he was also a metal worker, which would have meant probably that he was an idol maker. And, and this is the man that hurt Paul so distinctly. Acts 19 may be our introduction to Alexander. When you go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, we see that Alexander has shown his, tr his true colors. Listen to what Paul said. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them, you may fight the good fight. Hold on to the faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected thee. Some have rejected faith, have rejected a good conscience and have shipwrecked their faith. Among those who have done that, he names two men, Hymenaeus and Alexander. The, the offense and the opposition from Hymenaeus and Alexander was so grievous that Paul said, I have handed them over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Now, what that phrase indicates is that they were once believers. The, the, the lost were not handed over to Satan. But we see a couple of times in Scripture where rebellious believers were. Now, you say, boy, he was just really just an, an evil man. The Greek literally says, he showed me much ill treatment. Can I tell you something? I want to tell you two things. I want to repeat what I said earlier. This is not Paul bringing out his hurts to say this man did me wrong. This was Paul saying, this is what this man has done. And, and I've been able to put him in the hands of God. But I want you, Timothy, to understand that he's still dangerous. He's still active and he'll hurt you if you're not careful. So he was warning his beloved son. Yeah, I think we can say Alexander was an evil man, but can I tell you the truth? I've known very few people in church. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there in the world, but I've known very few people in church that I thought was genuinely evil. I can look out over this congregation and not only the A through E's, but all the other letters right down to the Zertags and Zebras. I don't, I don't know of anyone in this church that I would say I think they're evil. But through the years, there have been people associated with church that I look at them, I look at their life, and I say, yeah, they're, they're truly, truly evil. Now, I don't really have a message to preach to people like that because I find out that people that are truly evil, they're not going to listen to anything you have to say anyway. I'm not talking about some of you being evil. I'm talking about those people that you know. People you may have come across in your life, like I have, that are truly evil. 
The best thing I can tell you uh, is that's the legacy they left behind. And people may, may fool a majority of people. Some people may fool um, even the most wise, discerning people. But at the end of the day, their legacy is hate and hurt. And you've just got to remember that hurting people hurt people. Now, that's the easiest one to deal with because for the most part, all you can do is commit them to the Lord and move on. That's what Paul did. But he said, there's the first legacy that it's possible for you to leave behind. And it's a legacy of hurt and of hatred. And that's Alexander. You may know somebody that has caused unmentionable grief to you. And it's not because you had a personality difference. That happens among the best of people. Uh, it, it's not that someone was wrong about something. We all know that we've been wrong about something that caused a disagreement with other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. It's not a personality clash. It's not a difference of opinion, but somebody that the intent of what they did was to hurt you. I stood by a friend when I heard someone say this to him. This, this person who said what I'm about to say was an internationally known Christian figure. And he had a falling out with my friend. And this is what he said. I'm going to take you to court. I'm going to take everything you have. I'm going to make you hurt. I'm going to make your wife hurt. And I am going to see to it that your little boy's life is miserable. Yeah, he's on my evil list. But that is rare. But when it happens, you commit them to the Lord. You commit them to the justice of the Lord. And you realize that their legacy will follow them. There was a second person he remembered. And his name was Demas. We talked about Demas. Remember in Philippians, or, or excuse me, Philemon Paul said, I send you my greetings, and so do Mark, uh, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Demas was in the inner circle for a while. We see that in Colossians 4. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send their greetings. But something happened. He departed from Paul, and the reason was not a contract negotiation dispute. The reason was not that he was sick and just needed to go. Paul makes it very clear. Demas left what he had been doing for years because he loved this present world. Now, if, um, if Alexander, if his legacy was, was one of hurting, Demas, his legacy was one of quitting. Now, let me go ahead and try to explain a little bit better. Um, it's not always worldliness that causes friends to split. Uh, it, it, it's not always that one remains good and one remains bad. Um, one of the churches that I served in years ago, the pastor and his associate had worked together for nearly 40 years. And I can't tell you how it tore me up for them to split after four decades of ministry together over irresolvable differences. I don't think either was wrong necessarily, but a difference of opinion. And even after 40 years, they split apart. Broke my heart. Uh, sometimes though, it's worldliness. Sometimes it's a strained friendship. 
Sometimes the legacy that we leave behind is that we quit. And it may be that some of the people that have quit on you, it might've been a, a, a life altering departure. It might've been your wife, might've been your husband, might've been a lifelong friend or an employee that worked in the same company with you. Sometimes I have seen strained friendships just cause a separation. <laughs> and it's devastating. Uh, you know, every, every church that I've ever pastored before coming here, I was never there more than three or four years. And three or four years is just enough time to get in trouble and then you leave, you know. <laughs> but being at a church for 26 years, it's been a different animal. Because you walk through not a season, but you walk through seasons with people. And I'll tell you, quite honestly, please don't misread what I'm saying. I'm trying to illustrate this principle. When I came here 26 years ago, there are people that I said will never leave me. They'll be here with me forever. And there were people that I said, I'm not going to be able to hold on to them for a year. They're, they're whatever the reason was. And you know what I found out? I found out that there were people that have stayed with me for 26 years. There were people I couldn't hold on to for a year. That's not the amazing thing. The amazing thing is who left and who stayed. It surprised me because the longer you have a friendship with somebody, the more demands are put on that friendship. And it's got to be a true friendship to endure that kind of time. Now you're looking, you're looking, uh, tense right now. Uh, let me assure you, everybody in A through E is perfect. You're fine. Don't worry about that. I'm kidding, guys. I have a friend in, in uh, Florida. You know him, Terry Wasden. He preaches for us about every year. And uh, Terry and I met when we were young and stupid. And he has remained my closest friend now that we're old and stupid. But I, I was thinking about Terry the other day, and, and Terry, I wish you were here, but Terry has walked with me through the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. He's, he's stood by me when I had the devil by the tail on a downhill drag singing, tie-yay-yippee-yay-yay. And there were times when Terry was the only one I trusted to walk out to the grave as they buried my daughter. Those kind of friendships are rare and nothing shakes those kind of friendships. But sometimes a friendship can be strained and it breaks. Also, the longer you're with people, the more seasons they go through, the more seasons you go through. Sometimes what holds you together as a young couple in your 20s, you know, a couple of couples in your 20s, can separate as you hit your 40s. I understand that. What I'm trying to say is that there are legitimate reasons for people to split and there are illegitimate or at least inadequate reasons for people to split. The question that you want to think about before you start writing people off is what legacy do I want to leave behind? What legacy? Am I going to be a legacy of hurt? Am I going to be a legacy of quitting? Well, maybe I can have, thirdly, the legacy of Luke. This was the man who stood by Paul 
And uh, he wrote Acts and and, uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, which is largely, I think most scholars would agree that the Gospel of Luke is largely the recounting of Mary's life uh, and, and involvement in the ministry of Jesus the only Gentile writer of scripture. And in Colossians 4.14, that scripture that we referred to earlier, Luke, the doctor, our dear friend, sends greetings. Now, this is where I'd like to camp for about 150 years. But there are people in your life that are out to hurt you, and you've got to deal with that. There are people that have let you down and walked away at a time that was the worst possible time for them to do it and at a time that was when you needed them the most. Maybe we've done it, maybe it's been done to us. But there are also men like Luke. Men like Luke that just stay through the good, the bad, and the ugly. Women that stay through the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I am learning more and more to thank God for every Luke and Lukina in my life. Because none of us are easy to live with all the time. One more legacy that Paul remembered, and it was Mark. Mark is the man of the second chance. Can I tell you that Mark is the man that came back home? In Acts 13, now let me tell you where the trouble came. Acts 13 uh, talks about Paul's first missionary journey. And it says that John was with them as their helper. And that's John Mark was his name. Um, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Now, in fairness to, to John Mark, we don't know why he left You know, we always say he bailed out on them, but we don't know that from the account. He could have been homesick, could have wanted mama's banana pudding. I mean, there could have been any number of reasons, but Paul interpreted it as a desertion. And it was so strongly felt by Paul. Well, just listen. Paul did not think it wise to take him, John Mark, Because he had deserted them in Pamphylia. Deserted is not the word that's used of somebody that just wants banana pudding. Deserted is not the word of someone who is led by the Spirit to go in a different direction. Paul Paul viewed it the same way almost that he would view apostasy. He deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Now you've got to understand the greatest ministry team in existence as far as we know at that time was Paul and Barnabas. And the the failure of John Mark was sufficient to split that duo up. Absolutely unthinkable. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of God. Loved ones, let me tell you something. Every single church in Columbia would be filled to overflowing two and three times over if everybody that needed a second chance came back to church. 
we, we've got to understand that <laughs> we've got to understand that I believe as we move closer and closer into the harvest, it's not just the lost that are going to be brought in during the harvest, but it's people that have wandered away from their faith, wandered away from church. Maybe it's because of their own failure. Maybe it was because of the hurt somebody else called, caused. Maybe it was because the pastor didn't treat them right. Or maybe it was because the church was ungracious and unloving toward them. The reasons could be you know, listed by the dozens. But I believe this with all my heart. If we can take a lesson from Paul and understand that a second chance awaits us just as it awaited John Mark if you will be willing to accept the second chance and if churches will be willing to extend a second chance now let's wrap this thing up and let's close we need to understand that there are people that leave a legacy that's nothing but hurt and pain and betrayal. They're like Alexander. And you and I, hopefully we've not been the Alexander. If we have, I encourage you to go and make it right. But if we have been the victim of an Alexander, we, if, if we wait for them to apologize, we may spend the rest of our lives waiting. They may not even understand how they hurt you. But if we can commit them to the grace of God and bring them up only in the context of warning others so that they don't get trapped, we can survive a legacy of hatred that's left behind. Some of us have people in our lives that deserted us or walked away from us. Maybe your level of friendship was up here and their level of friendship was down here. And you know, loved ones, that doesn't necessarily mean we're right and they're wrong. Sometimes people just don't end up at the same level of, of friendship. And sometimes we require more of people than they're willing to give. And sometimes people leaving us may actually be our fault. At least in some measure. But if you've been, um, hurt by a Demas, you have to let them go and you focus on those that have been faithful. That's the third legacy. That's Luke. You, I, I keep telling my kids as they grow up, I said, I, I know how awkward it is to, to grow up together in a home and then hit your twenties and thirties and everybody's got your own world and your own emphasis. And it's easy to push your siblings and family over here to the side. It's not that you write them off, but you push them here over to the side. But I tell them this, always love your family because it may be here, it may be here, it may be here, but you're going to come to the place in your life where only family or friends that are like family are going to be there for you. Every other system may fail, but stay together with family, those Luke's. And they may be related or they may not. And every one of us has been disappointed by somebody who let us down. 
And that's the mark in our life. And we have to position ourselves like Paul. Listen to what this man said. Paul's entire ministry was turned upside down because of the failure of this boy. Because of the failure of John Mark, everything that was going full steam ahead is derailed. And he has to regroup, reassert, and restart his ministry. And what did Paul say at the end? Bring Mark to me. Because with the passing of time, I've learned that he's profitable for me. I need him and he needs me. You might put it this way, let go of the past and the pain. Now, what are the Christian life lessons? What do we wrap this up with? Number one, remember that our treatment of fellow believers is always within the Lord's sight. Whether we are gracious and loving or whether we're hurtful and vindictive, the Lord sees it all. And Paul makes it clear, you will be rewarded for treating the Lord's people right. And God will understand what needs to be done if you've treated the Lord's people wrong. Our treatment of fellow believers is always within the Lord's sight. Number two, ultimate deliverance for us is assured. Now, please understand this. I am not held hostage. You are not held hostage by anyone's legacy that is left behind. The legacy I leave behind is to my credit or to my blame. The legacy, the person sitting next to you, well, there's not many people sitting next to you. Those people sitting six feet away from you, their legacy cannot affect you in any way unless you let it. You can let it make you better. You can let it make you, you bitter. But we know whether we've been hurt by people, God is going to see us through to victory. He's going to see us through to victory. Number three, live your life so that your ministry bears fruit long after you are gone. Can I tell you the honest to goodness truth? I'm being very vulnerable today. I didn't mean to tear up reading McQuilkin's writings. But I, I don't fear dying. I'm not afraid of dying. I don't think I'm going to die anytime soon. I have no plans. <laughs> I, I, I want to see my grandchildren grow up. And, and I have no plan on dying. But I want to tell you this. I am not afraid of dying. Now, I, I'm afraid of hurting. I don't want to hurt. I, I, I have no interest in hurting. But I'm not afraid of dying. But I tell you what does strike terror in my heart. And the reason I can say this is because I know my family wouldn't do this. But I, I, I live in a fear of, of dying and being forgotten. Of not mattering anymore. I've seen that in people. A father dies, a grandfather dies, and the family, he's never in the conversation, or she's never in the conversation. And it's almost as though they never lived. That strikes a terror in my heart. And it ought to be something that every one of us think about. We want to live our life so that our life bears fruit long after we are gone. Here's the last life lesson. Heaven will reward those who live with eternity in view. My legacy has two parts to it. Your legacy has two parts. What do I send ahead and what do I leave behind? Both are important. Both are up to me. 
Hebrews 6.10, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. The scripture says in Hebrews that it would be unjust of God for him to forget our legacy. And he won't do that. Let me close with this story that I hope will stay with you as it has for me. I heard a man tell this, a man with a prominent ministry and He's been so successful. I, I heard him tell this story probably 35 years ago, and I've never forgotten it. He talks about, now, when he spoke these words, he was a pastor of a church of about 3,000 people, very successful, a strong personality, strong, successful ministry, and still is successful ministry today. But he told us this story, and it really shaped my thinking. He said, he, he said, I've not always been at large churches. He said, I started out at a little bitty church. And um, he said, we had way under a hundred people. He said, in fact, we could have, we could have, uh, we could have quadrupled attendance and still had less than a hundred. He said, but as we, as I stayed there, he said, we began to grow and we had, he said, with fits and spasms of growth, he said, and I had not been there long before I realized that the reason the church had not grown is because there was a man who loved Jesus, a man that had been a Christian almost his entire life. He said he was the chairman of the board and everything I tried to do, he said, this man opposed he said, he fought me on everything. He said, the church could be excited about something and he would stand and speak and everybody was suddenly down on the idea. And he said that we grew to, uh, oh, I think it was like 60 or 70 people. And he said, I realized that some things needed to change, but this man had opposed me on everything. He had been one of the founding members of the church and his word was law and he said, I came to realize that I needed to leave or something needed to change. And he didn't have an attitude of, oh, by God, I'm in charge here. I'll show him what to do. See, Paul told Timothy, he said, you treat the older men as though they were your father. And you treat the older women as though they were your mother. You treat the younger women as though they were your sisters and the younger men as though they were your brothers. And a leader that is a successful leader is not a successful leader because of business skills or organizational skills <coughs> or anything like that. Paul said the greatest leaders are servants and family. He said, I realized that we had come to the point where the church could not go forward. He said, I called for my monthly meeting and he said, uh, I knew that he had been on the phone telling people not to support anything that I had suggested. And everything I suggested, it was like three action points. For us to take even a small step forward, we had to approve these things. And he had been on the phone all week calling every member, telling them it was wrong. He said, I went over to him. He said, I wasn't angry. He said, I... I'd been crying all week trying to, how do I treat this man like a father? How do I... How do I help him understand what's happening? He said, I went over and put my arms around him where nobody could hear him. He said he was out at the water fountain. We had taken a break and we were about to head into the business and he was at the water fountain. 
he said, I went and put my arm around him and I, I don't even remember his name. We'll call him Corey. And uh, he said, I think they called him like Pop, whatever, Pop Corey, you know, Pop Corey. That's got a ring to it. But anyway, he said, Pop Corey, he said, I know we're about to bring these decisions before the board. He said, I wasn't looking at him in the eye. He said, I was leaning over his shoulder, had my arm around him as he stood there at the water fountain. He said, I just want to say one thing to you. He said, you are the leader of this church. I'm not the leader. I may be the preacher, but I'm not the leader. He said, I want to be, but I'm not. He says, you are. You've been the leader through every pastor that's ever been at this church. The people, no matter how much I pray and how much I hear from the Lord, the people aren't going to follow me unless you follow me. He said, you hold all the cards. He said, I'm not going to fight you because he said, I can't win. If I try to fight you by the end of the week, I'll have a U-Haul moving truck here and I'll be gone. He says, you're in charge. You're the leader. He says, I've never known anybody that could control a congregation and can control an entire community like you do. He said, I am in awe at your authority and your power. He said, I just want to ask you this. He says, I can't go forward if you don't help me. And if you don't want to help me, I'll leave. I'll resign. But he said, Pop Corey, this is what I want to ask you. You're not going to live forever. You're already a great grandpa. And he, he said, I'm not saying I'll outlive you and I'll win. He said, because if you don't, he said, I'll leave. He said, I don't want to put the church through a fight, especially one I can't win. He said, the question I want to ask you is this, what do you want to be remembered for? What legacy do you want to leave behind? He says, you're going to win any battle that you set your mind to, but is that what you want to be remembered for? Do you want to be a man who left a legacy of no, or do you want to be a man that left a legacy of yes? He said, nobody will ever know that you and I had this conversation. And I got to say, Pop Corey was dead by the time he told it. A lot of stories are, you know, names are changed to protect the guilty. He said, nobody will know. This church will never know what your decision is. Nobody will ever know we had this decision or, or this discussion. He said, the whole time I'm saying this, he's got his, button, his hand down on the button and water's coming up, but he's not taking a drink. He says, I just want to know what legacy you want to leave behind and I will honor your decision. He patted him on the shoulder and walked into the table and sat down. He said he saw him stand there for, he said it was probably three minutes before he took a drink of water, but he had the button down, the water's just coming. He didn't say a word. He said, and after about three minutes, he just took a sip and came inside. The pastor presented his agenda, and this is what Pop Corey did. He said, gentlemen, I've been thinking, God has sent this man to us. And we need to support 
what he wants to do. And everybody lined up and followed him. He was, he was feared and he was followed. He said, whenever things got tense in church, Pop would stand up and interrupt his sermon and say, now y'all quit acting like this. Y'all behave yourself. This is God's man. And that preacher said that with the passing of time, he said, I stayed there another couple of years and I was there till Pop passed away. And he said at his funeral, the building was packed because he had decided my legacy is going to be a yea and amen instead of a no. Now, please understand me. I'm not saying that because I want you to agree with everything I'm saying. Although I'm going to tell you, it is a burden to be right all the time. It is. And I, I need your support. Just the burden of being right all the time is tough. No, I think you know me well enough. That's not what I'm saying. Because as far as I know, I don't have any opposition of any significance in the church. I, I'm not making an appeal to treat me right. I'm talking about your legacy. I'm talking about what do you want to be remembered for? Do you want to be remembered as a Diotrephes who loves to have the preeminence? Do, do, you, do you want to be remembered as somebody that was faithful for a while and then fell away? Or do you want to be a Luke? Do you want to be one that stood in harness with the people of God as the church went forward? Or maybe you say, Pastor, I've just blown it beyond compare, blown it beyond reason. I, 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 I've messed up and I can't recover. Yes, you can. Do you know why? Because God is the God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. You say, how do you know that? Because it's the testimony of scripture and it's the testimony of my life. I always amaze me. I amaze me when I get something right and I amaze me how stupid I can be over other things. That's what I keep telling my wife. Either way you take it, I am amazing. <laughs> As we move into the days ahead and God, think about this. God has sovereignly decided for you to be alive right now in this time with this social upheaval, with this societal upheaval, with this spiritual upheaval. He's chosen you to come together and to be a part of the greatest harvest that I think the church has ever seen. What's your answer going to be? Some of you are just like Papa Corey standing at the water fountain and you got to make a decision. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to make an altar call and say, all y'all that want to quit being stupid, come forward. We don't have people like that. But I think every now and then we need to read words of men like Robertson McQuilkin. We need to read chapters like this passage in 2 Timothy. And we need to decide, what am I going to send ahead? What am I going to leave behind? Father, as we pray today, we ask um, for the help of the Lord Jesus. And let me explain to you what we're doing. We're, I'm praying for you right now. Musicians are moving into place. 
and I want you to come to that water fountain. I want you to settle some issues with the Lord. Father, we know that without you, we can do nothing. And whether we are the, the, the portion of the congregation that are here today, or whether we're watching from home, we realize that you are calling us to rise up. You are calling us to live life in such a way that we leave a legacy of honor behind us. When we are gone and our name is spoken, may it elicit the right kind of memory and the right kind of response because we've decided as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Father, for every friend that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that you would give them understanding right now that if they can confess you as Lord, if they can admit as I had to, as we all have to, that I have broken God's law and I've broken God's heart, but Jesus died on the cross that I might have a second chance. Help them to make that decision Lord, Christians that have laid out of church and, and, and walked away from the fellowship of the church because of mistakes they've made or hurts they received. Father, help us to come home. Help us to come home. In Jesus' name we pray. Now we've gone over a little today. It was me being drunk on having an audience in front of me. But this is what we want to do. For those of you that are watching online, the ministry team is going to give you four or five minutes to just enjoy the presence of the Lord and worship. And then we'll have the video ending the service for you. But if you're here, we realize we've got some challenges, social distancing and that sort of thing. But if you'll come forward, uh, you'll be escorted out the side doors here to a place where we'll have a little more room just outside the, the walkway there. And the ministry team will be glad to pray for you. I love you. Thank you for your kindness. Ministry team, if you'll go ahead and move into position. And if you will come forward, those of you that want prayer, whether you're sick or whatever your need is, whatever those of you who want prayer, if you'll come forward, the ushers will help you make your way to the place of prayer. I love you. God bless you. And for the next group in the congregation, we'll look forward to seeing you next week. I love you. God bless. <laughs>